Good morning. Hope everybody's doing all right today. Yeah, yeah, good, good. Um, <clears throat> you woke up, well, I woke up to a 27-degree crisp morning, yeah, which it's all right. Um, I hope everybody's had a good week, and um, we are going to talk about priest today. So as we jump into this, what I thought I would do is I would introduce you to something that maybe you have forgotten, okay? After a period of time, people forget things. They say seven to 14 days, people forget something. And if you look back on our current history, it might have been seven to 14 days. You may have forgotten this. And so I want to reintroduce you to something that exists. And here's a picture of it. That is the sun, right? It does exist. If you saw it outside, was wondering what it was, that is what it is. It is actually a ball of fire is what it is, a big ball of fire just sitting out there in outer space, a um, couple, I mean, millions of miles away from us, but it, it's there in outer space. Does anybody know um, how far the closest star is from us? Anybody know? Last... <clears throat> Last service, kid right back there did. It's 4.3 light years away from us. It's a pretty long distance, 4.3 light years. It doesn't sound like that much, but it is. It is that much. Four, you know, why couldn't we say four something huge, but 4.3 light years away. And the suns are actually in a system. It's three suns that are held together by, of course, gravity and with each one of those suns, there is a solar system going around each one of those suns while those three suns actually do a rotation. Now let that go out in your mind a minute, right? See, I'm good. I'm good with like, because I did the science project where you have the sun in the middle, our solar system, and then you put Mercury, Venus, Earth, Mars, and you go on and you kind of get them to spin around, right? I'm, I'm good at that. I can, I can comprehend that. I can't comprehend how you can keep three suns, rotation of planets, in perfect order. Because it wasn't, cha- it's, it's not chaotic. Like there was a plan. Is everybody following me? See, or have I lost you? I've just totally lost. Have I lost everybody in the room talking about this? No. I mean, it it blows my mind. I have trouble just keeping up with simple stuff, right? Like tire rotation on the car, right? Just taking the tires off and rotating them, just doing that and getting that done. I mean, I I have issues with that. Not with necessarily taking the tires off, but you don't want to know. Anyway, I have issues because I have issues that way. But God can keep those things rotating and in place And he can also keep earth going around the sun at the same time, which is amazing, alone, because the earth is just out there with nothing. See, when I did my science project, there were strings. Oh, come on. There were strings. I didn't levitate them. If I did, I would have made better than an A+. You know what I mean? I mean, it would have been amazing if I could have risen it with my hands. Yeah, that's the solar system. God just speaks this stuff into existence 
into nothingness and makes it something, and then he organizes it all together. It's an, it's an amazing kind of, kind of thing to think about in that particular regard. So with that in mind, I want you to turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. <clears throat> 1 Peter chapter 2, we'll begin reading with verse 4. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4. By the way, um, we've landed two things on Mars now. One is called the Perseverance, and I think they put a, a scripture verse on the side, I think. Okay. All right, I, yeah, good. I thought it was a great joke. All right, 2 Peter chapter 2, just preach, preacher. Okay, great, okay. Yeah. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4 says this. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen, precious, verse 5, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. This verse of scripture tells me something about myself and it tells us something about anyone in the room that has received the Lord Jesus Christ as their savior. The first thing that it says is that if you've received the Lord Jesus Christ as your savior, you are a holy priest of God. Now at first blush, I'm like, well, I don't know. I, man, holy priest, how, how do I step into that? You know what I mean? I, I don't feel holy on the inside. I mean, I can look at you and, you know, you're, I could see how it could happen for some of you. <laughs> That's funny. Come on. That's a good one. That's better than the scripture reference of the bars river, right? Anyway, nonetheless, I could see how it happens, but, but there's, a, there's a holy, like I'm a holy priest. And if you receive Jesus, you're a holy priest too. So then this verse does something else right before that. If you notice verse five, you yourself like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house. A particular word for spiritual house can also be tr- translated tabernacle or temple. I prefer tabernacle, spiritual house, which connects back to Leviticus where they were worshiping in a tabernacle. It was a tabernacle back then. So not only am I a holy priest, I'm also a tabernacle, a tabernacle. Now, in Leviticus, um, we know that the tabernacle was mobile and we know that the tabernacle was in the middle of the children of Israel. And we know that in that tabernacle, there was a place in it where God sat on his throne. And then right below that, beyond a curtain of veil, there was this holy place where on the left-hand side was a menorah, which is a a candle system. And in front, like right before it was like an altar of incense and then a table of showbread. We, we know about that. So there's a temple happening. There's God's presence. And then there's the temple. And then in that tabernacle as well is an altar. There's a, there's an altar that has, has fire inside of it. Right. And so I am 
a spiritual house, a tabernacle that now houses the God that created me. His throne is now inside of me. Is it in heaven? Absolutely. But for every believer that has received the Lord Jesus Christ as a savior, God has come to live inside of you and he is sitting on a throne in your heart somewhere. He's there. So he's sitting there and there's a holy place. So once I start thinking about a holy God that is now sitting inside of me, that is sitting in resident in my tabernacle, I can now see how I can step in to being a holy priest because it's not my holiness. It is God's holiness inside of me, touching me and making me holy. I have nothing holy on my own. It is all God that lives inside of me and his throne is inside of me. And because he is holy, I am holy. Come on. There's, oh, come on, church. Wake up. Because he is holy, I am holy. Say that to your neighbor. Now say it like you believe it. Yeah. If I don't feel like I'm holy, I'm holy because God is always holy. That's a concept. So he lives, he reigns, he sits right here and I am a tabernacle and I am a holy priest. So with that in mind, I want you to turn to Leviticus chapter six. While you're turning there, Leviticus chapter six. Kids, do not try this at home because I didn't. So I'm not telling you anything that I, I didn't do at home. Just don't try this at home. <clears throat> this is a box of matches, okay? And so, there you go. You know, <clears throat> I don't know about you, but that smoke smells good. Okay, so we'll get rid of that one. Switch hands, and then we'll take another one. If you look on YouTube, there's some people that have actually built things out of matchsticks, and then they light them on fire. It's... It's really entertaining to watch. It's entertaining to watch them build it, and it's entertaining to watch them light it on fire. So, <clears throat> you know, a match doesn't, doesn't really keep fire for a very long period of time, so you really need to take it somewhere else eventually, right? Because I can't do this the entire message. So it has started, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to open that candle. Now, that candle right there is a candle that my wife gave me for Christmas, it smells really good. It smells better than that. Oh, ooh. I can't, can't let the fire die. Okay, here we go. Don't worry, ladies and gentlemen. The uh, fire department is just right across the street. Okay. So we will light this candle right here. And light this one right here. Then after the service, you can come up and, and smell it. There you go. Yes, the pastor has an ashtray today. <laughs> Thank you, Carl. <laughs> Thank you, Carl. You win one at a time, ladies and gentlemen, one at a time. All right, Leviticus chapter 6, verse 8 says this, The Lord spoke to Moses, saying... Now, I want to pause right here and say, 
that this passage of scripture, actually God spoke to him on Mount Sinai. We know that, I would get into that, how we know that, but uh, the Lord spoke to Moses on Mount Sinai and gave him these instructions. So you need to know that as we read through this. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, command Aaron and his son saying, this is the law of the burnt offering. The burnt offering shall be on the hearth of the altar all night until the morning, and the fire of the altar shall be kept burning on it. And the priest shall put his linen garment and put his linen, his linen undergarment on his body, and he shall take up the ashes to which the fire has reduced the burnt offering on the altar and shall put them beside the altar. Then... He shall take off his garments and put on other garments and carry the ashes outside the camp to clean the place. Now, every woman is looking at that thinking, men are still the same. Five, out, five outfits during the day, you're not thinking that? I'm thinking that. Do you ever do laundry at your house? Come on, that's a lot of clothes right there. Okay, verse 12, the fire on the altar shall be kept burning on it and it shall not go out. The priest shall burn wood on it every morning and he shall arrange the burnt offering on it and it sh shall burn on it the fat of the peace offerings and fire shall be kept burning on the altar continually and it shall not go out. How many of you have ever had a campfire? Campfire in the room, right? Or, or a fire in a fireplace or something like that, right? <clears throat> I am either lazy are wise, because I've come up with a new system for my little, my little uh, fire pit outside. What I do is I go to Food Lion, and I buy one of those logs that burn for four hours, and I stick that in the middle of my fire, and then I put all the wood around it, and I light it, and I don't have to mess with it. So is that lazy or wise? I don't know. You decide, but to me, it's brilliant, because uh, you know, you have to put the, the paper in there and you have to put it just right and the wood has to be, you know, small and, and kindling and all that kind of stuff. Well, I can have a fire going within five minutes and we're good to go. I mean, I like it because sometimes that's kind of a spontaneous thing, right? And so after that log that was already prepared to burn burns for a while, it will burn an additional probably another hour or two if you don't put wood on it. It's, it's, pretty, it's a pretty good system. So this fire, though, is different than the fire that you and I use in our fire pit. There's something different about it. And it's a fire that has to keep going. It should not be distinguished. So, so what is different about this particular fire? Well, just flip real quickly to Leviticus chapter 9, verse 22. Leviticus chapter 9, verse 22, just a couple pages over. And it says this. Then Aaron lifted up his hands toward the people and blessed them. Now, let me say that they are dedicating the tabernacle and they're bringing it up and in order. So this is the first day of the tabernacle. And he blessed them. And he came down from the offering, the sin offering, and the burnt offering, and the peace offerings. And Moses and Aaron went into the tent of meeting. And when they came out, they blessed the people. And the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. And check this out. And fire came out before the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the pieces of fat on the altar. And when all the people saw it, they shouted and fell on their faces. 
The reason that this fire was a fire that should not ever go out was because it wasn't a fire that came from this world. It was a fire that came from the throne room of God. And so it was a special fire. It wasn't like these matches that I just did and this candle that I just lit. It was a heavenly fire that came down and consumed the sacrifices and consumed the wood and there were embers and this fire burned right there. It's an amazing, amazing thing. This is not the first, well, this is not the only time in scripture where this happens. There's a couple other times. David builds an altar and God throws fire down on it and it consumes, it consumes the, uh, the sacrifice. Uh, Elijah is on a mountain and he's up against the false prophets of Baal and fire comes down out of heaven and not only consumes the sacrifice, but also the stones and the water and everything's dry. It's, it's an amazing thing. Another time was King Solomon when he was dedicating the temple and he had the same type of raisin altar out front and God's fire came from heaven and consumed that sacrifice and lit that fire. This is a fire from heaven, a fire from heaven. This means that if I am a tabernacle of God and God lives inside of me, there is a fire that comes with that. And if you don't believe me, uh, well, that's okay because Acts has flames of fire that goes into people through the Holy Spirit. And if I'm a tabernacle where God resides, it is the whole tabernacle. It's not just part of it. It's his throne room all the way to the place of this brazen altar where these coals are and they have to keep burning. It is a fire from the Lord. It is new life, if you will. It's a fire. It's a fire. So the fire was to be kept going even when they traveled. These people traveled every now and then in the wilderness God would move and they would have to pick up everything and leave. And they had a system that was in place and, and the priests would pick up this brazen altar. The embers or the fire would keep burning at some level. They'd make sure that they were stoking it and they would carry that altar to the next location. In essence, they were carrying with them the presence of a holy God so yes, the presence of God was, was in the Ark of the Covenant, but this fire also came from that same presence. It is a picture of his throne room in heaven. In Isaiah chapter six, Isaiah is seeing this vision and it's a throne room. Like it's the holy of holies and the most holy place. And God is sitting on his throne and his train goes through the temple as smoke. And right up underneath that temple, right underneath the, the smoke is this brazen altar. And he feels unholy and he falls on his face before God and says, I am not holy. That is a parallel to the people that saw the fire come down in front of the tabernacle and they fell on their faces because God was holy. And so he's on his face and there's an angel that come and take, he takes this coal from up underneath the altar and he touches Isaiah with it and makes him holy. So the holiness in that altar was transferred to Isaiah so that he could stand in the presence of God. You see, there's a fire inside of me and it's a holy fire and it allows me to boldly approach the throne of God. Yes, yes, 
Salvation is through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. He took the penalty for my sins on the cross. Absolutely. I am risen with him uh, through his resurrection. I have new life in Christ. But with that came the Holy Spirit living inside of me and God sitting on his throne and a holy fire burning inside of me that's like no other. I can feel it inside of me. I can feel the burn. Thank you. You can feel it inside of you. You, you got it there. So it's his presence, it's his holiness. It's a sign of God. And you and I need to make sure that we do not let the fire die inside of us. The fire of the Holy Spirit, this holy consuming fire, we make sure that it is stoked and it does not go out. So how do you do that? Well, four words. Really? You have to be um, attentive, vigilant, dedicated, and focused. You ever camped before? Camped? Like really camped. I'm not talking in a motor home. Okay? That's not real camping. It is, it is, but it's not real camp. Real camping is a tent, and there's a fire outside. And there's a reason why you want that fire to continue to go, because you need the warmth of it, right? You go back into your sleeping bag. You wake up about an hour and a half later. You put some more wood on the fire. You, you stoke it, make sure that fire is going, you know, all night long. That's, that's what you do. And so it's, it's being attentive to that. You have to wake up. You have to make sure the fire is going. There's certain things that you have to do in order to keep that fire going. You have to be attentive vigilant, dedicated, and focused to keep that fire going. You see, each time the embers are stroked, it is, it is a reminder that the presence of God is there, the holiness of God is there, and you need to abide by that holiness. Each time the fire is, is poked, it's a reminder that God is with you, his abiding presence. We acknowledge the presence of God. We keep it going. So how in the world do we keep the fire inside of us that keep, keep it going? How do we do that? Well, I'll tell you. You're doing it right now. You're at church. Church stokes the holy fire of God, especially if you're, well, only if you're listening to a message from his word. That's the only way it happens. And church stokes that fire. It, it gets that consuming fire going. See, there's, there's some people that, that wake up on Sunday morning and they're like, I just, don't, I just don't feel like going to church today. And so I'm just not going to go to church today. So they just don't come to church. Well, they wonder why the next week didn't go as well. You see, if you don't feel like going to church, that is the very moment that you should be in church. Your week has been such that it has worn you down spiritually and you don't feel good spiritually. Now, let me time out. If you're sick, stay home. If you have a temperature, stay home. I'm not talking about that, okay? Please stay home. Trust me, I want you to stay home if you're sick. But if you're not, 
when you wake up and you just don't want to go, that is exactly the moment you should be in church. You need a spiritual recharge. You need that fire poked. You need it to start burning again. And it burns by hearing the word of God. It burns by being with his people. Listen, if God blessed you and enabled you to live Monday through Saturday, can't you just give him two hours on Sunday? Come on. And so you give him this moment and you poke that fire and you get it going. Other ways that you get this fire going, and I know you probably already know what I'm gonna say. You need to pray. You need to talk to God on a regular basis. Not a helter-skelter. I'm gonna do it in my car. I'm gonna do it over here. I'm doing it. That, that's all good. You need a focused moment where you keep every day where you talk to your, your Savior. If it's in the shower, it's in the shower. If it's, if it's after breakfast, it's after breakfast. If it's, if it's whatever it is, but that is the moment that you always talk to God and you stoke that fire. You keep the fire burning. You're attentive, vigilant, dedicated, and focused. You open the word of God during the week. How easy is it not to open God's word? I'll tell you, if you don't have a plan, it's very easy. If you don't have a moment and a time that you're gonna do that, during the day, it, it's just not gonna happen. There is a God of this world that doesn't want you to stoke the holy fire that is within you. And he will distract you and get you attentive on things that do not matter, that has nothing to do with stoking that fire of God. And what you need to do is you need to make that moment, you need to open the word of God and get that word inside of you. And when you read the word of God, when I do, more times than I would like to admit, that holy fire burns inside of me and shows me my sin and I confess that sin and he's faithful and just to forgive that sin and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. And the cleansing of all unrighteousness is this holiness touching my unholiness and making me holy once again. That is beautiful. It's beautiful. So the word of God stokes us and gets us going. Service for others and stuff like that. We keep the fire burning inside our tabernacle. Well, okay, okay, Philip. Well, what else? All right, we'll turn back over to Leviticus chapter six. Look at verses 10 through 11. It says this. And the priest shall put on his linen garment and put his linen undergarment on his body, and he shall take up the ashes to which the fire has reduced the burnt offering on the altar, and shall put them beside the altar. Then he shall take off his garments and put on the other garments and carry the ashes outside the camp to clean the place. If you've ever had a fire, you know that ashes tend to build up from time to time, right? Yes. And so what you have to do is you have to get rid of the ashes because you can't have a fire and continue a fire going if the ashes are suffocating the fire. So when I've taken ashes out of a fireplace, because that used to be one of my jobs when I was, when I was growing up, you know, we had chores. I don't, chores, like legitimate chores, right? 
I'm not saying anything's illegitimate, but I am. I guess I am saying that. So you, you, take, you take these ashes out so that the fire would burn. And what I would find is that when I would take the ashes out, there would be like an ember left, like tucked up underneath the ashes that couldn't light up because there was no oxygen being able to get to it. So when I would take the ashes out, that little ember would produce a flame. And then you could continue the fire, right? And so these ashes, you would take them outside and you would just dump them somewhere in your yard, we had a place that we would dump them and we'd dump them. And then on my way back in, I'd have to bring the wood in, you know, to put the wood on the fire. That was my deal. That's what I did. Here, you have this burnt offering thing going on and a sacrifice is being burnt. Now, just to remind you what we've said before, when you brought a sacrifice, you would touch that sacrifice and your sins would transfer to this offering. Because that animal is taking your place, being sacrificed in your place. And so it would transfer over. So this lamb or this bull or this goat or this bird, whatever it might have been, was laid on this burnt offering and the holy fire up underneath consumed that offering and that offering became ashes. Now, when that offering became ashes, you were absolutely forgiven of your sins. In fact, that whole process, through the blood, through death, you were forgiven of your sins. But these ashes was like in the bottom of, of that thing. It was residue that reminded you that you had sinned. And it had to be getting, gotten rid of so that the fire could burn. To me, the ashes is guilt and shame. How many times have we asked Jesus Christ to forgive us of our sins and the guilt and shame is so heavy on our shoulders that it causes our fire inside of us to diminish? It causes that fire to suffocate a little bit. And how many times do we have to say, I'm forgiven of my sins and I do not have to carry around this guilt and shame no longer? And we take the guilt and shame out of our bodies, figuratively, and we cast it aside and leave it somewhere. We leave it somewhere. We get it out. There is no reason for a Christian to have guilt and shame suffocating the holy fire that is inside of them. There's no reason for that. They, they need to take the ashes and cast it aside. Listen. Jesus doesn't want you to feel guilt and shame after he's forgiven you of your sins. He took that guilt and shame on the cross with him. He was stripped of his dignity. They stripped him of his clothes. They beat him to a pulp. He took on guilt and shame for you so you would not have to carry it with you after you were forgiven. Amen. Come on. It is time to get rid of the ashes of guilt and shame and take them out and leave them somewhere. And the place you can leave them is the foot of the cross because that place is clean. 
And so you go back and you, you come back without the guilt and shame and you rejoice in Jesus that your sins are forgiven and now you are free. Now, does this mean that there's some sins that have consequences that you will no longer have to deal with those consequences? Absolutely not. There's some sins that we commit that there's consequences the rest of our life. I mean, we just have to be real about it. The real truth here is, and the real encouragement is, as we deal with the consequences of our choices, we don't have to have guilt and shame anymore while we're dealing with them. We can deal with them with a peace of mind and a fire within our soul. And it's great, just absolutely great. Remove the ashes, remove your guilt and shame. He doesn't want you to carry it with him. So they remove these ashes that represents all the, sin, all the sins that had been burnt on that altar. What a picture, what a picture. I want you to turn your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. Now Hebrews is the best commentary on the book of Leviticus. Hebrews is. So Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. And... We're going to start reading with verse 28. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 28. And this is what it says. Mm -hmm. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Let me pause here a moment. If you've received the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, you have already received a kingdom that cannot be shaken. It can't be shaken by politics. It can't be shaken by stuff that's happening in your life. It can't be shaken by disease. It cannot be shaken. Why have I not really worried too much about what has been going on in our culture? Because I'm in a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And I am glad that the God of this world's kingdom is being shaken. I come from a standpoint of victory, and you do too if you have Jesus Christ. And that victory is a solid victory and cannot be shaken. Come on, church. We need to quit coming from a state of failure and come from a standpoint of victory in Jesus Christ. We are victorious. So back to this. Kingdom that cannot be shaken, thus let us offer to God acceptable worship, worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Oh my goodness, Here's an altar, fire from heaven represents God's holiness. As I approach it, I approach it with worship and awe and reverence because I'm not holy, he is holy. And he is gonna transfer his holiness to me because I do not have holiness on my own. And so I come into this place and I worship God because he is a consuming fire and he's not to be messed with, but he still has grace and mercy. Whew. He's not to be messed with, but he still has grace and mercy. This means that my worship has to be 
planned. Have you seen the detail that's in Leviticus and how they have to approach God and worship God and all the detail? Worship is a planned thing. See, we have adopted a falsehood in, Christ, in the Christian world, and that is this, that the Holy Spirit only works in the spontaneous. And ladies and gentlemen, the Holy Spirit does not only work in the spontaneous. God has a plan. Those three suns and the solar systems, do you really think that that came from an explosion? If our God didn't have a plan, he could have created the world with evolution, but he decided not to. Even evolution, okay, we're not gonna get into this, but he, he decided not to. He created the world and he has a plan. And that means when we approach him on Sunday morning, we need to have a plan of what we are going to do. I am so thankful, and I'm not saying anything about the worship team, but I am saying something, okay? I am so glad that they practice on Thursday evenings because sometimes I would not want that on Sunday morning. So you've got this worship team that practices for an hour and an hour and a half, maybe three hours when my wife is leading, I don't know. She, she comes to church, she's like 5.30, she leaves the house at 5.30, I don't see her to 10.30, I don't know what the woman is doing other than love of Jesus, that's all I, all I know, she's here. I've tracked her, I have an app, I'm just, I'm just kind of kidding, just kind of kidding, yeah. But she's here doing something, right? Preparing to lead people in worship because this is what I know and this is what I hope the worship team knows. They are just prompters, I am just a prompter with the truth of Scripture. You are the people that receive the prompting to get involved in worshiping and learning from the Word of God so that we can worship our audience of one. You are not the audience. You are the participants. And it's not about what you want in worship. It's about what God wants in worship. It's about what God has done for you during the week. It's about lifting up praises for salvation and for goodness and for victory and for a kingdom that will not be shaken. It is worship time and he is our audience and we participate. They prompt you to sing. I prompt you to think about God and you look to him as your audience. That, ladies and gentlemen, is when you stoke the fire. Because when they opened the doors or ever how they did it and they stoked the fire, their focus and their attentiveness and their purpose was to get that fire going because that fire was special. It came from somewhere else. And that was the focus. It was a one, get it? A one area of focus. So when we come to worship, we prepare ourselves and we get ready. Does that mean that from time to time, the spirit isn't gonna lead us? I've never skipped around this room. I have no clue what he's talking about. 
Like I can, I can barely run. If you saw me run, you'd think Chicken Little probably. I don't know what you'd think, but I'm just not a runner, not a skipper. I don't know what that was. But I enjoy like harmony and stuff. But what I'm saying is we come prepared and there is times where the spirit is spontaneous. But let me tell you, God is a God with a plan. I know this firsthand. This sermon, and I know you've heard this before, was prepared last year. Now, did I work on it during the year? Absolutely. I worked on it during the year. But the essence of this sermon was prepared a year in advance. Now, there's some people that often think that I'm, I'm preaching right to them. Like I've tailored made the message for just them for that particular day. And I appreciate the fact that you think I'm that smart. But I am not that smart. It is God at work. I'm just the prompter. And there's a lot of people that during a message get mad at the preacher when really they should be mad at themselves. And you should take that up with God. That's what you should do. So I'm just a prompter. The worship team is just a prompter. I am not here to perform. I'm here to prompt. I'm here to push you to Jesus and push you to the word and push you to his holiness. Because let me tell you, you don't want to follow me. You want to follow Jesus. That is who you want to follow. So worship, he is a consuming fire and he's supposed to be approached with reverence and awe. When we leave here, we think, man, God is an amazing God. So worship, worship. Now, back to six, okay? Back to six. I want you to look at verse nine, all right? <clears throat> and we're beginning to wrap this up, okay? Chapter six, verse nine says this. <laughs> I gotta find it with my eyes. Okay. Command Aaron and his son saying, this is the law of the burnt offering. The burnt offering shall be on the hearth of the altar you should underline these two words in your Bible. All night, that's the first two words, until the morning. So underline, underline three words, all night and morning. So you have night and you have morning and you're supposed to keep this fire going. Now in Genesis chapter one, there's seven days of creation. And at the end of each one of those days, God says, the evening and the morning was a day. And he does this seven times. Evening and morning is a day. He creates something on the first day, that's a day. Evening, morning. Second day, evening, morning, that's a day. Third day, evening and morning goes all the way to the seventh day and says, hey, this is a day. I'm not gonna create anything. Evening and morning, you get to rest because I'm gonna rest from creation. He's absolutely completed the whole deal. And so eating in the morning is creation. So when you get here to this passage of scripture, it says the burnt offering shall be on the hearth of the altar all night until the morning. What that is communicating is when you offer a sacrifice and it burns all the way down, you are becoming a new Creation. 
I know. Evening, morning. Let me tell you when that happened for me. See, I have a high priest, according to Hebrews, that is far better than Aaron and Moses. Moses isn't a priest, but it's better than Leviticus. And my high priest was a sacrifice on the cross of Calvary for me. And he arose the third day so that I could have new life in him. And he went to heaven and sprinkled blood in heaven for me. And I am now a new creature, a new creation, because of what my Savior did for me on the cross. There was a evening where I was in darkness and a morning where I saw the light and I became a new creation. This is about becoming a new creation. These are a chosen people that bring in their sacrifices, lay their hands on their sacrifices. The transfer of sin is on that sacrifice. The sin is taken care of, it's wiped clean and they leave a new creation. Now, would they have to do that again and again and again? Absolutely, because this wasn't a permanent thing. The difference between that and me and you is that our new creation is absolutely perfect, eternal. I'm a new creation when I don't look like a new, I'm a new creation. I am a new creation. I am a new tabernacle. I am a holy priesthood and you are too. Now I know you've, you've seen, you know, better looking priests than me. And I've seen better looking priests than you. Holy priests come in all shapes and sizes. Some are small and some are big. Some are tall and some are short. It's a holy priesthood. But all of us, if we receive Jesus, are a new creation. And this is a picture of the new creation. See, Leviticus, yes, it's about details for those people, but it's a picture of what we are doing right now. It's a picture of what we're doing right now. And we are a new creation. So chapter 7, verse 22 says, The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel, saying, You shall eat no fat of the ox, sheep, or goat, the fat of an animal that dies of itself, and the fat of one that is torn by beasts may be put onto any other use, but on account shall you, no account shall you eat it. For every person who eats of the fat of an animal of which a food offering may be made to the Lord shall be cut off from his people, cut off from his people. It's going to say that again. Verse 27, whoever eats any blood, that person shall be cut off from his people. You see, I might be a new creation and I might, I might be a holy priesthood and I'm a tabernacle, but if I mess with the wrong stuff, I can be cut off from fellowship from my heavenly father. Scripture's very clear on this. And whereas it's not fat and blood that I have to worry about, it's some other things that I have to worry about where I dabble in sin over here and I do this little stuff over here and I cut myself off from the fellowship of God the Father. I'm, I'm cut off in that particular regard. But thanks be to God that when I do mess up like this, I can go back to Jesus and ask forgiveness and he will cleanse me from all unrighteousness and my temple becomes holy again and I become a holy priesthood and it's gone. I reclaim my new creation. 
See, there's so many Christians that aren't living the life of the new creation. They want to live the life of the old creation and mix it up. It's kind of taking, it's kind of like taking germs and mixing it up with the filet mignon. Are taking germs and mixing it up in birthday cake. Have you ever thought about this? We blow candles on a birthday cake and spittle comes out of our mouth. Nobody talks about this. I don't know how Fauci isn't saying don't blow your candles out. I think that would be appropriate. I've voted that for years. This is why I only eat little pieces of Nicole's cake at a birthday party. Can I have just a little part? And I take the bottom portion where the kid didn't spit on it. What I'm saying here is if we are a new creation, we need to live like it. We need to quit putting all the germs and all the sin and all the old life and mixing it with the new creation because it does not mix. You cannot mix holiness with unholiness. They do not come together. God is a consuming fire and sin is no match for his holiness. And when that ember is burning inside of you, it takes care of the sins that so easily besets you. Stoke the fire and do not let it die. Amen? I don't think you believe. Amen? Amen. Okay. Don't make me skip around the building. So I don't know where you are today. I don't. If you're messing around with stuff that is old life stuff, you need to stop. You need to leave it behind and you need to embrace the new creation, the new life, so that you can be an appropriate tabernacle for Jesus Christ, a holy priesthood that represents him well. Let's pray.